0: third chapter and uh, the 34th, 34th excuse me verse and then we'll jump over to Matthew the sixth chapter and look at verse 14. Luke 23 and 34 and Matthew 6 and 14. and for the next few moments we're going to discuss the forgiveness sermon. So I'm going to say the forgiveness sermon. Luke 23 and 34 in the New King James Version reads us thus. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them because they are ignorant. Forgive them for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. Matthew 6, 14 through 15 in the New King James Version says, For if you forgive men, there is a there's a clause there. If you forgive men, their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. So the implication there is that your divine forgiveness is contingent on your forgiveness of men. Some of y'all are asking God to forgive you and he can't forgive you because you have not forgiven men. Am I in the Bible? Well, let's read it again. For if you, there's a clause, if you forgive men their trespasses your heavenly father will also forgive you but if you do not forgive men their trespasses neither will your father forgive your trespasses father we thank you for this word have your way in Jesus name transformation into Christ's likeness is the objective of our salvation to become increasingly more and more like Jesus not in mimicry But in actual essence and substance is the objective of our salvation. Romans 8 and 29 in the New Living Translation says, For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son. Someone say, "like like his son. So that his son would be the firstborn among many brethren or brothers and sisters. That means that your mind, your emotions, your spirit, your will, your affections, your pursuits, and everything that makes you you has to come to the place of ultimately mirroring exactly what is in Jesus Christ. This is the purpose of your prayer, your worship, your service, and everything that you do in your life. Somebody say to be like Jesus, to be like him. We struggle, beloved, when we lose sight of that process and the opportunities that are afforded us for transformation. You have to reconcile yourself in this space of time that we are in to the very fact that every experience in your life is being used by the sovereign God to facilitate the process of that change and that transformation in your life. Somebody say every experience. Every experience. That means the good experiences, it means the bad experiences, it means the ones that you volunteered for, and it means the ones that you are volunteering to run from. Somebody say, everything, everything. is working together for my, for my good. So you have to permit the sovereign God to facilitate these processes in your life without grief. The nature of God is the consummation of uprightness, moral perfection truth and love somebody say the nature of god that means that he is the totality of morality he is the totality of truth he is the apex and the totality of love somebody say the nature of god God. is all of this this means in everything that god thinks Everything that God says, every action, every decision, every movement of God is weighed against the ubiquitousness of his persona and character. And the conclusion is that in all things, God is good. Somebody open your mouth and shout, God is good. good. That means that if God is good, it means that all of his dealings are good. Uh, the absolute, the apex, the highest measurement of purity and virtue are exerted in everything he does. Somebody say, everything. This understanding, Elder Warren, creates a rigid dichotomy in what we think we know about God and our human experience because our human experience is replete with challenging circumstances and situations that cause us a lot of pain and grief. We look around the world and we see sickness and death and pain and suffering. We see murders and corruption and we see poverty and it becomes mind-boggling and difficult for us to observe all of this and still conclude that God is good somebody shout God is good and when we look upon all of the the maladies and the things that are going on in the world we have to understand and this is going to take a mature mind somebody say I'm a mature believer we, we have to put on a mature mind and we have to think with the mind of Christ because we have to still resolve that in everything we see in the world that God's highest levels of moral uprightness are exerted even in his dealings with creation as he overlooks in sees everything that is going on in the world somebody say amen let me go on with the argument Isaiah the prophet in 55 and 8 says as far as the heavens are higher than the earth so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts somebody shout it's a higher realm he said, so also is the word that goes forth out of my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for whence I sent it. Somebody shout hallelujah. So in this scripture, he's making us privy to a supernal construct that the heavens and the earth are built upon, that the sovereign God has a realm of he has a realm of contemplation he has a realm of conceptualizing that operates outside of the scope of man somebody shout hallelujah that means that when god does his god business even when we cannot sympathize with it which means to agree or to have a sentimental value or opinion even when we can't sympathize with his dealings we can still trust his dealings shout hallelujah we can trust it because we understand what god is made of somebody say what he's made of so even when we look at it and i know this isn't going to sound good to some of you but even when we look at people that are being uh uh, thrown into the throes of poverty and sickness and we're looking at nations like third world countries somewhere in the scheme of what has gone on in creation god permitting it is still just i know y'all don't like it i know that's rough but that's why i said it creates a dichotomy because we have to try to reason If God is good how come he permits bad things if God is good how come he doesn't only allow good to come into my life but I want you to rest assured that even when you see the negativity of the human experience that you still have to be willing to open your mouth and praise God because we can take for granted that somewhere along the line God's uprightness is still being upheld y'all not gonna help me I'm almost done somewhere along the line the righteousness of God is still being seen some of us in 2020 have had to say goodbye to family members we still sympathize with prophet Bonaparte we still sympathize with our own family we sympathize with those that we have been connected to and I know that it's painful it's it hurts it's a nagging uh, pain that won't go away but somewhere you got to look at it and still praise him because somewhere in the middle of the worst valley of our lives God is still working it out for our good. I don't got a lot of help. I'm here to preach to somebody that's been going through something and you don't know how you're going to come out of it. You're looking around saying God if you would just make a way God if you would just ease up a little bit God if you would just do something for me but I'm telling you in the midst of it before he moves again you can push pause on the trauma and the grief and you can bless him because he's working it out for your good. Somebody shout hallelujah. Even when it breaks our hearts and makes us cry, we can rest in the supreme knowledge that in everything, God has worked it out according to the best possible outcome for the believer. This is why our mouths are filled with praise. First Thessalonians 5.18 says in everything, I said this is for a mature believer. In everything, give thanks for what this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you so that's why I said when we come into the house of God and and we put on uh the garment of praise we don't put it on based on sentiment but according to the text we gotta praise him uh by command that means that we gotta bless him even when we don't want to bless him we've gotta exalt him even when we don't feel like it because the reality is that even when we can't trace it or track it God is still worthy of the praise come on some of y'all try to manipulate God with your praise you're waiting for him to do something for you but if he never does anything else again I'm here to present the case that God is worthy of the praise if he doesn't answer another prayer if he doesn't move another time you've got to make up in your mind that God is still good I wish I had a church that would help me praise him open your mouth and give him glory He's good. He's good. He's good. He's good. He's good. Come on, open your mouth. I'm not here to entertain. I'm here to preach. Open your mouth and give him glory because he's good. Everything, take your seats that God does in our lives, has to fit within the scriptural precedent of Philippians 1 and 6. Here, the apostle says, I am certain. Somebody say certain. That means I'm fully persuaded beyond negotiation. I am certain that God, who began a good work, y'all not gonna help me preach this afternoon. I said, God, who has begun a good work, y'all not gonna help me read the Bible, is faithful. Y'all don't know the scripture? Faithful to complete it? Y'all not going to help me preach it until the day of Jesus Christ. So that means no matter we might as well preach what we're going through, prophet. No matter what we're experiencing, elder. The reality is that there's nothing that's going on in our lives that is not in the construct of this text it has to work together for my good because he's faithful and just he's gonna complete the work he began I wish I had somebody to open your mouth if you know he's still working on you hallelujah I'm trying to get through here but I feel something pushing somebody say preach bishop If you tell me to preach, I just might do it. I might learn how to do it. Somebody say, he's still working. Hallelujah. That means every experience, take your seat, is working in me a far more exceeding and eternal way to glory. That gives me, Elder Ramona, a whole new lens to look at my life through because before I got revelation of this fact when things would happen I would look at it like it was a dead-end street in the end of the world but now that I understand the power in the text I can recognize that there's nothing allowed in my life that is not there to facilitate the good work y'all not gonna help me that means things that make me cry through the tears I can still praise him it means things that rip my heart through the ripping of the heart I can still dance Because somewhere in there, a very good God, y'all not preaching, a very good God is working a plan. He's working a purpose. He's bringing me to an expected end. I wish somebody would open. Take your seat. Let's deal with the text. Somebody said, why are you doing all that yelling? I don't know. Because I got victory. And I'm excited about victory. No weapon formed against me will prosper. And every tongue that rises against you in judgment you shall condemn. That means I gotta take the clothes of the fence off. Y'all not ready to get free. I gotta take off feeling crazy because you rejected me I gotta take off my complex because you excluded me because if you didn't invite me it's not in the plan if you didn't call me it's not in the purpose I'ma stop weeping over mere mortals because the sovereign God is pushing me into the purpose pushing me into the call Pushing me into the destiny. Who am I preaching to? You thought it was over, baby. You better dust yourself off. You better breathe again. You better live again. You better believe again. Come on, open your mouth and praise. I'm open, open, open. I'm gonna let you go. Let's deal with the text. Take your seats. Jesus. In the exegetical text. I said deliverance is happening. You didn't have to roll on the floor for this one. You just had to change your mind. huh? You didn't have to cough in a napkin for this one. You just had to change your belief. You just had to look at it The same situation But with a new perspective The only way God would permit this trial The only way God would permit this test The only way God would allow This to encroach The spheres of my life He's got to be working He's got to be doing it Under the layers of your trial Under the layers of your storm, there's a great glory, there's a great move, there's a great manifestation, I need a believer that can praise him in advance, before you see it, before you grab it, can you trust that God is good, can you trust that God is good, can you trust that his works are good. Can you trust I'm not here? That the thoughts he thinks of you are only good, not evil, to give you a future. God not preaching. And the hope open your. I feel like preaching, take your seats. He's good. Only good. He's good all the time. I need y'all to open your mouth and shout, God is good all the time and all the time. God is good. When I'm suffering, when I'm tired, when I'm lonely, when I'm in despair, when I'm battling, y'all not going to be true for the temptation of the flesh when I'm battling the temptation of the mind when I'm fighting y'all not gonna help me preach through a storm he's still working it out according to the plan he's still good when I'm going through he's still good when I'm bleeding he's still good when I'm lumping y'all help me preach when my wife is acting up when the children won't obey he's still y'all help me preach he's a good God and we can trust God we can trust his good intention Because he's a good God. Let's deal with this. Jesus, take your seats. In the text. Come on, take your seats. Let me get through. Had just been crucified at the place of the skull. We have to take note of the fact that he could have been crucified anywhere. But he laid down his life And levied the greatest defeat of the enemy in a place called the skull Let me present to you beloved that your greatest victory to be obtained is in the realm of what you believe Somebody just got free Somebody just got delivered I'm telling you, somebody, it just clicked the light. The greatest battle you will ever fight is the battle over what you choose to think. When you can gain victory in the realm of the mind, everything in your life has to follow. So Jesus crucified in the place of the skull called Golgotha he had just gone through a grueling ordeal in the courts can I talk about the text for a minute with Herod and Pontius Pilate now imagine being in the stead of Jesus in the place of Jesus in your case being tried by the federal court the appellate court and the Supreme Court all in the same day they had deceptively implanted people To bear false witness against Jesus in an attempt to incarcerate him now watch this look at how much your enemy will try to destroy you this is how you can recognize the caliber of your trial somebody say amen because there are some things that God is going to permit but sometimes what we're going through is just the work of the devil. And when it's the work of the devil, Elder Debbie, there's a way that we got to navigate. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Y'all not talking back to me. That's why sometimes, even in dealing with and embracing the goodness of our God, sometimes we got to recognize the evilness and the badness of the enemy. Come on, somebody say amen. Uh, The enemy, watch this, will take people and incite people against you using false evidence huh sometimes the accuser of the y'all gone, y'all gonna have to help me sometimes the accuser of the brethren is so far removed from your real life that the only reference point is something that happened a decade ago y'all not gonna help me be free huh sometimes the rumor about you is true in a season but it's not true now you better stop owning up to stuff that god already delivered you out of now you're reference point is wrong that may have been true then but you're living in a bastard moment because he whom the sun sets free i wish i had free people in here is free indeed that means that i have legal papers that show that i am no longer convicted of that offense so the devil is a lie take your rumor take your lie take your intel and go hell with it because it is no longer held up in the court of heaven the devil will incite people by planting evidence that looks like it can be substantiated but what the devil didn't account for was his trial pushing you into a grave wait a minute I gotta talk it out for a minute what he didn't account for was that when he buried you that Romans 6 was gonna kick in the gear because the Bible says if I'm buried with him through baptism into death so shall I also be in the likeness of his resurrection the Bible says that if they knew What they found out after a while, they would have never crucified him. They would have let him live. Why? Because burying and crucifying him secured the devil's defeat. Who am I preaching to? The devil launched a plan against you and it buried you, but he didn't know that while you were in the grave, that resurrection power was going to look for you and call you by name and elevate you to a place of full power. If he knew that you were going to come out with a greater anointing. If he knew you were going to come out with more power. If he knew, y'all not going to help, that you were coming out healing the sick and casting out demons. He would have never launched a plan. But because of his ignorance of the good thing that the good God y'all not helping was working in your life though he slay you yet will he trust yet will you trust him because of the plan that's working on your behalf open your mouth and give him a Jesus, take your seat, I'm closing. This is the, this just the inter- introduction. Jesus, I didn't get to the three point yet, y'all help. Jesus was confronted with the fickle nature of humanity because those who were surrounding him during the court proceeding screaming crucify him, crucify him. Just 24 hours earlier, had a super mega conference where Jesus was the keynote speaker. Uh huh. They just shut down everybody's prayer line, they shut down everybody's church service, and all of the same people were lined up in the street and they got the palm branches and they said, let's prepare the path. Let's make a way for the Lord to come. Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Y'all not gonna help me, but you gotta realize that there comes a time in the process of God working this good thing that the same people who once rehearsed prophecies about you (laughs) will be the same people with a murderous plot Against you. I didn't mean to break you up from your best friend, but you better look at your best friend through an eye of discernment. Because you gotta watch that spirit of flattery in this season. Because there are people that are only there to lift you up and to boost you up. But you gotta realize the people that make it their business to always flatter you are usually hiding the dagger in their hand to destroy you. Somebody open your mouth and say watch the dagger, watch the dagger, watch the dagger. Text. I got to wind down. I got to give you the three points. This is still about forgiveness. In the text, the nature of God is put on display and it transcends the human desire for vindication and exoneration. So this is why I have to tell you, beloved, you cannot do what you do for the accolades of man. Come on. Y'all got to help me. You got to help me. You can't do what you do for the accolades of man, because if you're trying to do it to be seen or to get somebody to pat you on the back, it's like being addicted to drugs. You'll do anything for the fix. And the bigger the void, the bigger the need. And the bigger the need, the bigger the expenditure. So how far are you willing to go to get the accolades just to get the pat on the back? Some of y'all, I'm not going to go down that street. Because sometimes a pat on the back ain't even just a pat on the back. Sometimes it's a back rub. You have to be free, watch this, from the opinion of man. Because the opinion of man didn't call you. Y'all not going to like it. The opinion of man didn't anoint you. And some of y'all in this last season had to shift out of a place where the opinion of man tried to destroy you. Jesus got free from the need of vindication or exoneration of man. The scripture says because he knew what was in man. See, that's why the Bible says, know those who labor amongst you. See, watch this. My wife and I, we were talking about it. I said, oh my God, a deliverance. I said, I got delivered. She said, what'd you get delivered from this time? You know, we got a list in our house. We keep our deliverance list. So when we see people slipping, we like, uh-uh-uh-uh, that's number three, you said you was free. That's number three. I said, I got delivered. I said, them, I realize we're not gonna like everybody. No, because I thought you were supposed to. I said, we're not going to agree with everybody. And everybody's not going to agree with us. I said, but the deliverance is, can we let the love of God permeate us enough? Y'all not going to see, the, I, this is my growth. Can we let the love of God permeate through us enough to love the people that we don't agree with? Because our pathology, I'll well, talk about My, my pathology is... That once we are divided, we it. You never existed. I can see you walk across the street. I won't even... I, I, what's your name again? Brother Thesman, that had been my pathology. But then I realized that if the objective of my salvation is transformation into Christ's likeness. And that the reality of the manifestation of glory is not the cloud. But it's Christ in me. The hope of glory then it means that I'm stopping the process of glorification by refusing to become like Jesus. See, glory doesn't happen until we have a corporate opinion of glory, and we don't get the corporate opinion until we have the individual experience. We can't be of the same mind about glory until we have an individual experience of glory. And we don't get to individually experience glory until we're transformed into the likeness and image of the glory. That means in the process of glorification, Elder, it means that now I have to think more like Jesus. And it means it's not enough for it to just be a thought process, but now it has to translate into a belief system. So my thoughts have to become beliefs. And then the beliefs have to be translated into action and modalities. So I think, I believe, and then I become. Jesus is sitting here on the cross, looking at the faces of the people who falsely accused him. And the only thing he said was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what They do. Somebody say, be like Jesus. Here's point number one. I'm done. You have to pray in earnest that God forgive them, whoever them is, because the reality is point number one, them were necessary to get you to the cross so that God could bring you to the resurrection. Watch this. I'm giving you lens. This is a sermon on forgiveness. Things are going to happen in our lives that will be perpetrated against us by people who should know better and should know enough to love us. But part of having the heart of God and loving people like God, it means you accept them for where they are and you don't force them to change into what you think they should be. I just lost half the congregation. We deal with people I don't want to call it that But with a contraption of control To shape them into our image of what they should be So when they're not what we have envisioned for them Then we get frustrated and don't want to deal with them because they're not living up to our expectation That's reasoning like a mere mortal but when you put on the mind of Christ, you look at people where they are. And even if they are the reason why you're dying on the cross, the heart of Christ says, but forgive them because they did it with the lack of revelation. So that means in order to think like God and to love like God, you have to have space for people who can't see. One of the downsides to being a revelator is that you deal with people who don't see what you see. And you can't be frustrated because they can't see it. You got to love them where they are. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Number one, they're necessary to get you to the cross. Point number two, he said, into your hands I commit my spirit. You cannot fully yield to the purposes of God until the purpose of the cross has been fulfilled. Watch this. Look at the people that you are harboring unforgiveness against. Look at the people. This is how you know when you haven't forgiven people. And forgiveness is a process. Now, we can make up our mind to forgive, and we can release, and we can spend seven times, and we can throw it on an altar, and we can ball and write the name in a handkerchief and throw it up behind us, and we're over it. We do all of that. But when you think about them and you feel it, they're still sitting in there. Watch this. If you can't go a day without thinking about them, it's still in there. If you can't bring up their name without referencing what happened, it's still in there. Come on, we can't because we can't worship unless we worship in spirit and in truth is you haven't forgiven. Truth is you need a lesson in understanding the God kind of love that can forgive a false accuser that got you incarcerated and sentenced to death. They talked about you. They maligned you. They incited a riot against you falsely. They got people sitting on the witness stand to testify that I saw them do it, and they're lying. But the God heart says, but forgive them. They're doing what they're doing with limited resources. Am I changing your perspective? Here's the lens. You can't hate the people who've done this against you because they're necessary to get you to the glorification. See, you can't get to glory without suffering. You can't get to resurrection without death. So there has to be a conduit in the earth to facilitate that purpose. Jesus could not have gotten to the cross without Judas. It was prophesied 700 years earlier in the book of Isaiah that Judas, the son of perdition, was going to exist. Imagine being born into a lineage that's supposed to fulfill a prophecy of destruction. That's why you got to know those who labor amongst you. Sometimes I look at people, I'll be like, oh, your whole lineage is one of those lineages that God wants wiped out of the earth. And so, (laughs) Prophet T over here laughing because I'd be sending her texts. We researched different family names and say, see, look at what what the family name means. This is why they do that. People are born into lineages and they're fulfilling a purpose. Jezebel had a purpose. Balaam had a purpose. Judas had a purpose. Lucifer had a purpose. What was God's intention? For man to live in the garden forever and ever and ever and ever? Well, that's what we say. But an omniscient God still created creation knowing that they were going to fail. I think redemption is the bigger plan. He meant for Jesus to come and shed his blood. That was, that was plan A. Enter your hands, I commit my spirit. You cannot fully yield until the cross has been fulfilled. Point three, got to forgive them because it's required for your glorification. You cannot manifest like God. Now we're talking to mature sons and daughters that creation is groaning for waiting for your manifestation. You cannot manifest like God until you can forgive and love like God. Somebody say forgive Forgive. and love love. like God. God. I'm done, play something soft. I have more, I was gonna go a little further, but I'm, I'm done. Here's a step to dealing with unforgiveness. Number one, you have to accept the fact that the past could not have been any different than it was. Some of us harbor unforgiveness because we are still romanticizing the idea and the fantasy that it could have been different. You have to have a hard conversation with yourself to accept and embrace that everything that has happened has happened. I had to stop blaming myself because I was molested. I didn't molest myself. That was an epiphany for me. You didn't do that to yourself. I was like, oh yeah, I didn't, huh? Right? So I grew up with self-hatred because of the shame of the molester's perversion. I grew up with identity crises because the formative years of my identity were skewed and marred by a pedophile. So I had to come to the point of no longer hating him, hating myself, hating the people who should have been watching and guarding and protecting me who were oblivious to it. I had to accept, and this is not, I'm not saying that, I'm not saying forgiveness is easy. I'm not saying it's easy. But I had to accept, prophet, that it could not have been any different because it wasn't any different. So when I looked at it through the lens of it happened, I could begin the work in my soul of releasing those that I held responsible. See, it wasn't just the molester, it wasn't just my mom because she was always working. But I was angry at the father who was never in the house with me. See, because if you were there, y'all not going to help me. So the layers of healing didn't start being worked on or happening until I had to embrace it. Number one, so you got to get over the fantasy. It happened. Number two, you have to accept the fact that everybody in your life is not you. Because most of us suffer at the hands of people that we loved and trusted, but somewhere in in our minds, we were hoping that they would love and trust the way that we love and trust. So you got to divorce the fantasy of thinking everybody's like you. Because those who perpetrated this against you, they didn't love you like that because you would not have done that to them. So sometimes the anger attached to the unforgiveness is because I would have never done you like that. Third point, you have to realize, watch this, because I know the Bible says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. But you have to be able to release the fact that perhaps you won't be vindicated. See, another reason why we hold on to unforgiveness is is we're waiting for them to get got. And we hold on to it enough so that when they get got, we'll feel a sense of satisfaction in their suffering. That's not loving like God. Loving like God says, Man, you hurt me, but Father, forgive them. Wow, you wounded me. It's going to take me time to get over this, but Father, forgive them. You are not ready for glory until you can pray for your murderer. You are not qualified for glorification. Well, what does that mean? John 17, Jesus said, Father, I pray that the same glory that I had with you at the beginning, at the beginning, that you give it to them. That's what Jesus said in John 17. He prayed for our glorification. He said, Father, glorify them like you've glorified me. Yeah. But you cannot see, that's why he said to them when they're like, Lord, we want to sit in this seat in the kingdom and that seat. He said, no, Are you willing to be baptized with the baptism I'm about to be baptized with? Can you drink this cup of suffering I'm about to drink? Because I can't give you glorified seat if you don't go through the process I'm going through. Yeah, so you want to be glorified. We cry out for glory, but glorification is going to cost you going through the process of death and resurrection just like Jesus. And you got to do it with his mind. See, I'm a fighter. I'm a fighter. I've had to tone down my fighting spirit because I will smack you. Not slap, smack. That's in, that, that's in this flesh. So there's a part of me when people do me wrong because I think I'm a good guy. That's just my opinion. You don't have to agree or, or whatever. I, in, internally, I think I'm a good person when I enter into a situation I look for what's best for other people. I try to make everybody feel comfortable and special. I try to make everybody feel loved. That's just, that's just me. If people need something, I'm there. I, at one time, I had to stop answering my messages because I think people thought I was an ATM. Can I tell you, so when I do the little video, like I did because you guys blessed us with, for Christmas and I made that little live, do you know how many inbox messages I got asking for money after that? Oh yeah. Not, not from church people, not from our people. People see posts and videos like that and think that it's their ATM pin code. And you know what my heart is? Let me find a way to help them. Yeah, right? That's my heart. So I think that I'm a good person. So some of my unforgiveness has been tied to the fact that people have done things against me and I've only been good to them. I could understand it if they had a history of bad dealings with me, but they don't. I've only cared about them. I've only loved them. I've only stepped out on a limb to protect them and cover them and shield them. Yeah. So like Jesus, standing crucified on a cross with accusers, looking at you falsely, and they have a whole riot of people that they got to believe their narrative. You have to decide, am I going to stay stuck in the unforgiveness that's going to make the Father not forgive me? Or am I ready for glorification? Am I ready to become his image that he sees from me? Everybody stand. We got to forgive. Recap, get over the fantasy that it could have been any other way. It happened. Don't be disappointed because they're not you, because people are going to do things to you that you would never do to them. But you have to accept the fact that they did it in their own ignorance. They did it with limited knowledge, limited resource. And even if they meant to wound you, they were still stuck because they didn't understand the principle that says you're going to reap what you sow. You don't even know that trying to bury me is digging your own grave. That's why Jesus said, very simply, you do good to those who despitefully use you. Do good. He said, and in doing good, you heap hot coals of fire on their head. Fire of judgment. See, I don't have to take your judgment in my hand. I just have to love you. I just have to love you. And I'm not sitting there waiting for your judgment to come. See, when you really start dealing, I'm done. When you really start dealing in realms of governance, you realize that even when it's within the scope of your power to call for judgment, you ask for mercy. That's the heart of God. I'll show you. I was going to show you in 1 Corinthians 5 where the apostle called judgment. See, there's a difference between unforgiveness and then protecting the church. In 1 Corinthians 5, when the apostle had to deal with the level of sexual immorality that had invaded the Corinthian church, he told them, He said, When you get together with my spirit, realize I have already judged him. And when y'all gather, I want you to turn him over to Satan for the destruction of his body so that his spirit and soul may be saved in the day of Christ. See, that's not unforgiveness. Listen, listen, listen. That's not unforgiveness. That's God putting an end to a sickness and a cancer that was there to invade the body. See, people think they can cause a disruption to the process of the kingdom, and it's as simple as saying, God, forgive me. No, you may have an eternal mark on you. That doesn't mean I didn't forgive you. It just means that that mark determines the apex of anything you will do after that mark is put on you. Yes, yeah, some, pe- some people will be disqualified from fulfilling purpose because they have a mark. The Bible says to mark those who cause divisions amongst you. The Bible says it. That marking doesn't mean they're not forgiven, but it means that they are resigned to manifesting the fullness of what that mark has entailed. See, some people get stuck in who they are. just think about it. Y'all ever know a gossiper that died a gossiper? They had a mark. You ever know somebody in a sin and they were taken out, they literally died still in that sin? That's a mark. It meant that they were not able to find salvation and deliverance from that thing in their life space on the planet. That's what Jesus meant when he said, whosoever sins, you retain, they'll be retained. That's binding people to a system that they'll never get free from doesn't mean the blood of Jesus won't cover them and that their soul won't go into heaven. It means that in this earth, they will always wear that sin as a noose. When you mark people, it's so that wherever they go, Lord, help me. Lift your hands up for a second because some of y'all got marks. Some of y'all have marks. Father, I'm standing in the gap. I'm standing in the gap. And I'm asking you to remove these. marks. Some of y'all have left churches. Listen to me. Let me just tell you what I see. Some of you have left churches. You have served under leaders. And for whatever reason, it was a traumatic transition. Some of these leaders, because of the seat of authority, have put marks on you. Y'all have to realize the power of spirit. Let me just read. This. Can I just can I read this real quick so that yeah, I want y'all to listen to me, please, y'all. Because part of what these, I just, Tyra, I've given my life trying to explain this to our church. Can y'all sit down for just one quick second? I promise I won't, I won't. The sermon is over. Keep playing. Don't stop. I'm going to read the scripture. Can I read it? 1 Corinthians 5, New King James Version. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and such sexual immorality as is not even named amongst the Gentiles that a man has his father's wife. And you were puffed up. Now, listen to the apostle talking to the church. He's talking to an actual assembly of the church. He said, and you were puffed up and had not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. Can you believe that there is a magnitude of sin that the scripture says that if it is in our midst that we should grieve so that the person be removed out of our midst? He said, for indeed, I'm teaching spiritual authority, I'm done. For indeed, as absent in the body, so he was not physically present at the church of Corinth at this time, but present in spirit, You can take that. There's numerous ways that you can take that. But he's saying, I'm not there physically, but I am there in the spirit. He says, I have already judged as though I were present him who has so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit. This is the apostle Paul talking. Along with my spirit, with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus your glorying is not good do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump therefore purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump since you are truly unleavened for indeed Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us write this I mean uh, verse 9 he said I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Am I in the Bible? Is the Bible still good for doctrine, reproof and correction? Are we still supposed to base our paradigms off of the word of God? So so we have to realize that the message of grace that we have subscribed to, that excuses egregious sin is not really grace, it's licentiousness, it's lawlessness, it's not grace grace is not an excuse to get away with it grace is enabling power to not have to do it he said i told you not to even eat with sexually immoral people yet i certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or the extortioners or the idolaters since then you would need to go out of the world but now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a a reviler. A reviler is somebody who's rebellious and comes against authority. He says, don't even keep company with revilers. Or a drunkard. Now he says, not the people in the world. I'm talking about the people who are in the church. Or an extortioner. These are people that's ripping off the government, lying under taxes. It says, verse 11, not even to eat with such a person. For what have I to do with judging those who are also on the outside? Only God can judge me. Well, not according to this text. The apostles judging. With eternal ramifications. Did I read the Bible? All right, I'll just stop. I didn't say anything. Paul said all of that. I didn't say that. I didn't. So spiritual authority, beloved, it's not this thing where you have your pastor pastoring you by permission. That's not spiritual authority. Spiritual authority says that Paul had a position before the throne of God that he could negotiate by the strength and power of his office and mantle for God to permit death to take somebody out of this planet to save their soul eternally. That's spiritual authority. That's why you got to know those who labor amongst you. Am I trying to puff myself up? Absolutely not. I get nothing out of you thinking anything of me. I get nothing from that. I don't. Because people will worship you today and then kill you the next day. I mean, so you don't go home and eat more chicken because they, they think more of you. And you definitely don't go home and eat more because they think less of you. You eat the same amount. Now you can stand. Here's the sobriety we got to forgive, we have an obligation to forgive. Because we will never be forgiven if we don't forgive. You got to forgive, y'all. Even the traumatic things that have happened, the people that have hurt you, wounded you, crushed your heart, broken your heart, intentionally did things to destroy you, to defame you, to assault you, to attack your character, people that have destroyed your businesses, your money, your wealth, people that have tried to sleep with your spouse in your face, all of these things that have gone on against you. Beloved, I know that it is not easy, but your salvation requires that you forgive them. Because we have such a great salvation that all we have to do is ask God to save us, and then we are eternally and immortally changed. And so, if He could do that for you, then you cannot justifiably hold anything against someone else. Let go of the past, it couldn't have been any other way. Number two, they're not you, they did it in ignorance. Number three, you're not ready for glory. Until you can forgive and love your murderer. Because Jesus was already murdered on that cross. Lift your hands up. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the living word of God that lives in our spirits and in our souls. Father, I pray that as we begin to talk this discussion about unforgiveness, that you would give us the wisdom to take our lives out of the ruts of unforgiveness and brokenness and hurt and pain and trauma and woundedness. And that you would enable us just like Jesus to look at the face of those who have perpetrated things against us and love them the way you love them. And forgive them and embrace them the way that you forgive, love and embrace them. We ask you, Holy Spirit of the living God, that you would do such an extensive work in our hearts. That you would take away the heart of stone and that you would give us the heart of flesh. That you would give us to feel and to think just like you. Father, I pray for this house that is in a uh, transformative process, transformation, but a transformative process into glorification, that we are becoming the sons and the daughters of God that all of creation is in travail for, that as we fulfill your words, that the same glory that was on you at the beginning come upon us in our generation, we pray that we not miss a step in the process. Let us grow up into the head even Christ Jesus according to Ephesians 4 to think like him to reason like him to feel and to desire like him. Most of all to be like him. Father we thank you for this moment in your presence. Thank you for this great house. Thank you for blessing these great people. I ask you to secure us